0: Good morning, everybody how you doing This ought to be fun. I didn't actually check to make oh thank you. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out here as well. This ought to be fun because I forgot to turn my tablet on this morning, so now I have to to uh tell jokes or something to give it enough time to boot up and I can get my notes so uh anybody got any good jokes? Any good stuff
1: coming up here? What's that? Oh hallelujah! We're getting close. Just talk amongst yourselves.
0: Hallelujah! Makes anybody feel, me, but I've got a beautiful woman on my screen when it boots up. Yes, <laughs> very perceptive of you, Joseph. <laughs> I wouldn't have got quite the warm response to showing that had it been some other woman, just so you know. (laughs) Hallelujah. Praise God. So, anybody got any good plans for Father's Day today? Rock climbing for Father's Day? We're going over to uh, Michelle's folks and we're going to have a barbecue. And then uh, I've been tasked with bringing a refrigerator back here. So, that's heavy. Good Father's Day gift. Hallelujah. Yeah, I know. Well, I got to, still got to rent a trailer though, because it's too like trying to get a, a fridge into the back of that pickup will not be fun. Hallelujah. Praise God. While this is down, we'll go ahead and pray as we get ready to get started. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your goodness. Father, I thank you for your great love that you have for us. And Lord, I just thank you that it doesn't matter what the difficulties are, no matter what the situation is, Father, you are still here. You are still in control, Father. And Lord, I just thank you that as we dive into your word this morning, that you would prepare our hearts to receive what you have for us, that you would open our eyes so that we could see clearly. And I just pray that we would have revelation. This morning, Father, that we would leave here with fertile uh with with your word and fertile soil to produce much fruit in our lives. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this morning, we're gonna go ahead and and switch gears again. I don't know if you remember, but like two and a half months ago before we started going through the culture, which is on a, a schedule. We always do the culture of who we are at the beginning of the year. So it always interrupts whatever we're doing at the time. So if you recall, I had just started into the book of Romans and we'd got through about six weeks of that. Um, and today we're going to go ahead and pick that back up. We're going to continue working through the book of Roman verse by verse. Um, hopefully this is a great time where you can, you know, the, the thing about going expositionally through a book, going uh, verse by verse, is that... We don't get to miss any of the hard stuff. We don't get to skip the hard stuff. We've got to deal with every single verse. So I hope this is a blessing to you. Um, but today we're going to go ahead and continue on. And today I've entitled it Abraham's Righteousness. We're going to start in the, we're going to be doing the first half of chapter four today. And just to give you guys a recap of where we were in the book of Romans as we got through the first three chapters, we ended that last one by saying that the law made nobody perfect. We saw that you couldn't become righteous by your own actions there was nothing that you could do in and of yourself to make yourself righteous and the thing about that is if we stopped there if we stopped and said that there's nothing that we could do to become right with god that would leave us in a pretty sorry state i think i think that would leave us in a situation where we had no hope but the reality is is that's not where it ends he ended last week saying it's faith that made us well faith that made us righteous and today he's gonna paul's gonna dig a little bit even further in that but i think the reality is is that even though a lot of us know that we can't make it on our own it's not our actions that do that we realize that people fall short not everyone's convinced that they need help they need a savior sometimes people think they can do it on their own. And one of the stories I told was about the little girl who, who walked into the ice cream shop, and she walked to her dad, and her dad says, I'm going to get you an ice cream, honey. And she says, no, dad, I'm going to get it myself, because she had been saving up. She had like 36 cents saved up, and she wanted to buy her own ice cream. And she gets up to the counter, and, and dad says, no, honey, I'm going to go ahead and take care of her. She says, no, dad, I want to use my own money. So the cashier rings up the ice cream cone, and she says, well, that will be $2.06, sweetie. The little girl looks at her thirty-six cents and she counts it and she realizes it doesn't have enough. So the dad feels a little tug on his on his shirt. Says yes, honey. She goes, Dad, I think I'd like to use your money now. You see, that's what happens with us. So many times we think that we can do it on our own, but the reality is that there's nothing that we can do to make ourselves right with God. And at some point, you got to realize when you go to your heaven heavenly Father and say, I think I'd like to spend your money now. Because we don't have enough to overcome, to take care of what's missing in our lives. There's nothing that we can do to make ourselves right, to atone for our sins and become righteous. You see, that's the best news about the gospel is that we don't have to do it on our own. Every other religion is about how we go to God. Every other religion is about how man goes to God and tries to make himself right with God. Christianity is the only one that's different. It's where God came to us and said, you know what, you can't do it on your own. Let me help you. In essence, we get to use God's money. And it doesn't end in hopelessness or despair. We don't have to look and say, you know what? There's nothing that we can do. I recognize this shortcoming. How can I make up for it? And we don't have to be hopeless or lost. God made a way in his son, Jesus. So that's where we ended and the end of chapter 3 in the book of Romans is that it's by faith alone, not by our works. And this, this week Paul's going to continue on with that thought and he's going to start diving in to a look, uh, look at the Old Testament where he shows that this wasn't something new with Jesus, this wasn't something brand new with the New Testament, but instead this is the way it's always been and he's going to go and look at Abraham's life. And we see that no, even Abraham was justified by faith. And then he's going to take a look at David's life. And even David was justified by faith, not by works of the law. And when we talk specifically about Abraham, Abraham wasn't justified because of how good he did or by the fact that he was circumcised. He wasn't justified by the works of the law, but because he believed God, he had faith. And that's what made him righteous. So in Romans chapter 4, verse 1 through 2, it says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our father, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Like I said, Paul's going to continue to argue that we are justified as a result of our faith, not by our actions and not by our works. And we got to see last last time but, that Paul was, was arguing that that the Jews and the uncircumcised, right? So the Jewish people, God's chosen people, those who were under a covenant, the covenant of Abraham, and they, they received the seal of that covenant as, as, as circumcision, and everybody else is basically what he's talking about. And we see that actually that they were all justified by faith. That was in Romans 3.28. He said, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. And this was actually something that Paul taught consistently to all the new churches that he went to, through all the letters that he sent out to the new churches. This is something that Paul taught consistently, is that we are justified by faith apart from the works of the law. In the Ephesian church, he told him this in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, he said, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. There can't be no boasting when we stand before our God. Can you imagine that if it was done by works and you're standing before the creator of it all, the creator of the universe, our holy God, and you get to stand up there and be prideful and a braggart in front of him about how good you did? The truth is there can be no boasting in our heritage. It doesn't matter where we come from. You grew up in a Christian family, that's great. You still have to have your own faith. If you grew up in a Jewish family, that's great. You still have to have your own faith. If you grew up not having religion at all, probably not as great, but you still have to have your own faith. We can't boast in the things that we, it doesn't matter how good that we are. There are a lot of people that have done a lot of amazing things in this world. There's a lot of people that, actually do want to do good things, and they give money and they make sure that orphans are taken care of, and they donate to to needs of people and they make sure people are taken care of, but none of that matters matter of fact, the scripture says all of those works are as filthy rags without Jesus, they mean nothing without Jesus because those works can never save you, and you can't stand before God boasting about all the good things that you've done, hoping that it'll tip the scales because you don't have enough to put in your good scale to outweigh. The bad scale, you never will, nobody ever has. God's forgiveness has never been based on our deeds, but instead on what he's done in Christ. Even the, even before Jesus in the Old Testament, they were looking forward to the promise. The law and sacrifices were just a shadow of a things to come, and they were never permanent. That's why they had to do sacrifices day by day and year by year because the sacrifices never took. They were just a brief, reprieve a temporary moment but they weren't permanent that's where so even in the old testament they were looking forward to the promise that was to come in jesus he also told this to the corinthian church in first corinthians one twenty-seven through 31 it says but god chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise god chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong god chose what is low and despised in the world even things that are not to bring to to nothing things that are." So that no human might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. If you want to boast in something, boast in what Christ accomplished at the cross. Boast in who you are in him, not because of the things you've done, but because of what he's done inside of you. And his forgiveness has always been based on faith. And the great thing about that is it completely eliminates the pride of human effort. If your forgiveness, if your salvation, if your rightness with God has nothing to do with what you are, then you can't have pride in it, at least in and of yourself. Faith exalts what God has done, not what we have done. When we place our faith in Jesus, we're lifting up the finished work of Christ. On the cross, saying that it was enough, exalting him. And there's no, we're not up there. There's no room for us to be exalted in that. It exalts God instead of us. Faith also admits that we actually can't keep up the standards. We can't get up to that plumb line because the law laid it out, right? The law laid it out, said, this is what you have to do. And anybody who reads the law immediately recognizes that they've broken it. Even the best of us have broken a small part of it. And the scripture says if you've broken one part of the law, you've broken the entirety of the law. But faith admits that we can't keep the law or measure up to God's standards on our own because there is something that is fundamentally broken inside of us. We are born into a broken world because Adam's sin. We are born broken and we are unable to live the way that God intends us to live. We're gonna see later on when Paul and the Book of Romans, where Paul talks about the two natures, and he says that I want to do the right thing. My mind agrees with what God says. I agree that it's right, but I can't do it. Sin in me controls me, and sin won't let me do the right thing. And and many people like to use that as an excuse for Christians to sin. But he's actually not talking about Christians. It's a contrast to being saved and unsaved. When you're unsaved, you may have the the mental fortitude to want to do what's right, but it's impossible to do so. But thanks be to God. In his son, Jesus Christ, is what he says at the end there. I actually uh, saw somebody post that scripture on Facebook where he talks about that I want to do the right thing, but the sin inside won't let me. And I replied with the end of that passage, and it says, but thanks be to God. He says, what, what can man do? Wretched man that I am, but thanks be to God in Christ Jesus. I replied with that scripture, and I never got anything back from that. I don't know what happened. The thing is, is that if you're saved, it actually is possible to live without sin. You no longer are a slave to sin. You're no longer in bondage to it. You can finally live the life that God wants and called you to live. Now, I recognize that we don't always do it. And many times that we fail because we take our eyes off Jesus and back on anything else but him and we slip and we fall and we stumble. But thank God that we have an advocate in Jesus Christ as well. As long as we'll get back up, you can stumble. Just get back up. Turn back around. Put your eyes back on him. But faith admits that we need his help to do it. Faith is also based on a relationship with God, not our performance for
1: God. And
0: Paul is telling us that this isn't something that's new. This is something that's always been including with Abraham. Abraham as our forefather according to the flesh is to say that all Jews are descendant from Abraham. That's what he's saying, our father according to the flesh. What was gained by that, by being our father according to the flesh? He says, is it the promises of God? Were they were they given to his chosen people because of their deeds? Was it because of the circumcision, because of the flesh? But Paul wanted to go all the way back to the beginning where, where Judaism started and say, no, it's always been by faith, not by works. And he wants to prove that. And it wasn't according to what Abraham had done. He says, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. The reality is is that Abraham had nothing to boast about before God. Why did he have nothing to boast about? For one, there's, there's there's the logical aspect of it. What does the created thing have to boast to its creator? Now think about this. If you were to draw a beautiful or paint a beautiful painting and draw a beautiful picture, and that the painting is amazing and everybody loves it. And if you could imagine what the painting was thinking, it stands up and it looks at the painter and says, I'm wonderful, I'm beautiful, I'm I'm amazing. And the painter's gonna go, Yeah, I created you. I'm the one that did that. I'm the one that made you beautiful. I'm the one that made you amazing. You see the created thing has no right to boast to the creator for what it's done it is what it is because of the creator that's why he says that maybe if he was justified by works just a a spoiler next verse he's not but if he was he has nothing to boast about before god because even if that were possible it was god that made it that made it possible in the first place but really the reason he has nothing to boast about before God is because God does not assign value to you based on your performance. I mean we should have got more than one amen on that one. That's good news right there. God does not does not weigh your value based on your performance. I know that's a good thing for me. I wouldn't be worth very much. My private party resale value is 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 down pretty low when it's based on on, on who I am, Exhibit. <laughs> but his value is not based on our performance, his value is based on what he was willing to pay for us, and he was willing to give up his one and only son for you, that's what God thinks about you, that's what God thinks it's are worth, and it has nothing to do with what you've done, or how you've lived, if you've lived an awesome, super, uh, uh a great life where you've helped people and you've done a lot of good things and people respect you that's great but god doesn't value you based on that and if you've lived an awful life if you have a history and when you look back at your past and you don't want to tell anybody about it because you feel ashamed because you feel that it, that it, i you know why did i even live like that good news god doesn't value you based on that either god loves you in spite of all of that Verse 3 is the spoiler says, for what does the scripture say? He says, verse 2, for Abraham was justified by works. He has something to boast about, but not before God. But what does the scripture say? That's a good thing to keep in your mind if you ever have a question. If you ever want to know the answer to something, just ask yourself, what does the scripture say? And he says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. It doesn't say Abraham got circumcised and that was counted as righteousness. It doesn't say Abraham did everything that he was supposed to do, and that was counted him as, as, as righteous. It doesn't say Abraham was pious enough, or he felt bad about himself enough and thought he was, you know, he was, uh, uh, there's, a, there's some people that think that if you just are, you give away everything and you have nothing and you're lowest of the low, then somehow that's going to make you uh, with a greater standing before. It doesn't say any of that thing. The only thing it says is Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. This is the crux of the matter. This is the the, the period on the sentence. Faith in God equals righteousness. Nothing else. But see, the teaching at the time was that Abraham's works were so great that his blessing was passed down to his descendants. However, Paul's saying that that's not really the case. It was his faith, it was his believing that initiated the blessing. And if it was his Believing, if it was his faith that initiated the blessing, the natural response, the natural conclusion is that his descendants also receive righteousness in that blessing by believing as well. The scripture that Paul's talking about, this is Genesis 15, 1 through 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abraham, I am your shield, and your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. The heir of my house is Elisha of Damascus. And Abraham and Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. These promises were not predicated on Abraham's performance, but we see right here that the reason that he was considered right with God, the reason these blessings were poured on him, was because of his faith. And the word Paul uses here, this counted to him as righteous, is actually a banking term. And we're going to see this word actually used over and over throughout the chapter, but what it means is to put to one account. That means that righteousness was put to his account and it was only because his eyes were looking up there's a story about a, a a studio where this man was training sculptors and for several months they had been learning from this master sculptor and teaching they tried to apply what they had learned from the teacher and their one assignment for the course was to create a statue that symbolized the perfection of man and as they came to the conclusion of it, they made their statues. Each one stood before their finished work and the the first student statue looked pretty good to the untrained eye. Look, everything was right, the proportions were right. It was an impressive image of man and it appeared to have no flaws, but the skilled teacher looked down and, and says, Nope, this one won't do. You have his eyes looking down. And then he gets before the next statue. And once again it's an amazing statue. Everything looks perfect. It's the perfect image of man. And the, the teacher looks at it and says, nope, this one won't do either. You have his eyes closed. And the third student was obviously struggling. And he has a statue that doesn't look quite right. The proportions are a little bit off. At one point, the statue had cracked. And even though he tried to repair it, there was no way to hide the crack, the flaw in the statue. But the teacher says, yes, this is what I'm looking for. Look." At the eye, they are looking up. The student says, taken aback. The third student asks, teacher, master, I don't fully understand. My work is marred with an obvious defect. My craftsmanship is awful when compared to the other statues. What is so important about the eyes? And the sculptor looked at all the students and said, the first two statues were made with the hopes of being judged perfect, but the man who looks away from God will never be made perfect. However, the man who looks up towards God will be made perfect by him despite his many flaws. See, that's what made Abraham right in front of God's eyes, was his eyes were on him. He trusted him. And if you want righteousness to be put to your account, then we must only look up at God and place our faith in him as well. Romans 4, 4 through 5, it says Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift but as his due. And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Do you know that there's a big difference between working for something and receiving it freely as a gift? That's something that all of us know the difference between that. We know the difference of going to work and getting paid for something. We also know the difference of giving something to somebody. How many of you guys go to work and think, they can pay me if they want but if they don't want to no big deal anybody ever went to work like that if you have i got a job for you (laughs) i'd like to be your boss (laughs) you see the thing is is that when we go to work we are entitled to our wages that's kind of part of the agreement i go to work for you you give me my money that's how it works and they can't be withheld from us because they're earned. Matter of fact, we're, in this country, you're, perfect, you're protected legally. If they try to withhold your wages, then you have legal recourse to get what is due to you. It is what is owed to you. Your wages are yours. The problem with earning our own righteousness, though, is it's kind of like starting a project that we can never deliver. You see, that's the, the thing. If, if, you, if you can't deliver a project, you don't get paid. If you go into work and you don't do your job, then they have a right not to pay you. If you go in and you don't produce the goods, they have a right not to pay you. That's kind of the reason why we stopped paying for chores at my house. We used to try to do the allowance thing, but you know, we were try to teach our kids about money, but we were going to pay them some money to do chores. And it started out good. We put the list up on the thing, what every chore was worth, and if they did them, they got paid. The problem was that eventually they got smart and said, wait a minute. If I'm okay with sacrificing a little bit of money, I don't have to do the chores. So they just got fired, and now that they do it, to live in my house. But that's the thing, is they figured if I don't do the chores, I don't get paid, that's a good trade-off. Well, the thing for a Christian is, is that if we can't produce the goods, if we can't stand before God and say, I've met the law perfectly, then our wages are not due to us. We can't earn it. That's the problem with trying to do it on your own, is you have to produce the goods. And we've all failed. No one has ever lived perfectly without sin or without failure except for Jesus Christ. But the good news is, this: the thing that I love about what God did in His Son, is that it has nothing to do with our works. It has nothing to do with our deeds. It's based completely on faith, that righteousness gets credited to our account. And one of the things that I, I want to point out in this particular passage here is says, it says, and the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted to righteousness. That word that's being used there is actually like a, uh, uh, a present it's present tense in the Greek. In other words, it means that they you have to continue doing it. This isn't a one-off thing. I, I believed in God once and I can do whatever I want from here on out. This, this act of believing is something that we continually do. You can accept the free gift by faith, but you can just as freely give it back if you would like. The scripture says that if we maintain, if we stay in this faith, if we continue believing, then we have righteousness. That's what it says, that if we, if we believe in him, that continual belief, then we have righteousness credited to our account. Romans 4, 6-8 says, Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, blessed are those who are lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So Paul then goes on to, he moves away from, from Abraham and goes on to quote David professing the same sentiment. And this was right after his adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. Psalm 51, 14 through 70 says, Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness, O Lord. Open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise, for you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. You know, the thing is, is that David had just Gotten involved in stuff that there actually wasn't a sacrifice for. Adultery received death. You couldn't present a sacrifice for forgiveness in that situation. And he he even recognized that it wasn't sacrifices that God desired. It wasn't it wasn't burnt offerings. But he said it was a, a broken spirit, a a spirit that would call out to God for help. The interesting thing about this passage where it talks about forgiveness being based on faith by calling out to God, that broken spirit, it says that if a man has a sin that the Lord will not take into account. That proves that there was a sin there in the first place. So we have a situation where it's not like David could claim that I lived perfectly my whole life, but he had sin in his life that needed to be dealt with, and he cried out to God for it. Another thing to point out about this argument that paul is doing using abraham and david is is abraham was considered righteous for his faith and one could argue well well maybe that was because it was before the law that's why abraham was different the law hadn't been given so maybe god looked at it a little different he was righteous for his faith but after the law was given now we're righteous by living perfectly so then paul brings in david well why does david have the same sentiment why does david recognize the same thing he was indeed after the law. David demonstrates the same thing that Abraham did, whose sin and lawless deeds were covered and not held against him. His blessed are those lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Obviously, he had sin, and the sin that he had done was not available to be covered by sacrifice but it still wasn't countered against him. And the reason was is because he had faith. God does not keep track of our works, but the good news is is he doesn't keep track of our sins either. The one thing about Jesus is that sin has been dealt with. Sin is done with. Jesus paid the price for all of our sins, for those who are saved right now, for those who aren't saved right now. Their sin has been taken care of. Nobody is going to hell because of their sin. Nobody is going to hell because of the stupid things that they've done. They're going to hell because they choose to not receive the free gift of salvation. That's the only thing. Nothing irritates me more when, when people are standing out and, and, and with signs up that says, you're going to hell because you had an abortion, or you're going to hell because you're gay, or you're going to hell for this and for that. When No, they're not. If they're going to hell, it's for the sole reason they didn't accept the free gift of salvation. And if they go to heaven, it's because they did receive that free gift of salvation. And the great news about that is when you receive that free gift, something changes inside of you. You're made brand new, and you finally get to be in the camp where you can live without sin. And you'll begin to see change in your life. And verses 9 through 10, it says, Is the blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness, how then was it counted to him was it before or after he had been circumcised it was not after but before he was circumcised so now we have the opposite argument happening so first he says well maybe it was to abraham because he wasn't under the law and of oh, but now david's righteous too for the same thing or well, maybe it's it's righteous because of the law he says well no was the blessing only for the circumcised or the uncircumcised faith was counted to abraham as righteousness before the, the circumcision was given before the covenant that was sealed with circumcision was given. So Paul asks, well, who is this blessing for then? It's actually to both. It's not just circumcised. It's not just the uncircumcised. It's all those who will place their faith in Jesus Christ. When Abraham, who was actually known as Abraham at the time, until he had a circumcision, he was considered righteous before God as Abram. And the thing that some people don't want to admit is that when he was considered righteous, he was still a Gentile. He wasn't a Jew yet. Judaism started at the covenant between Abram when he was made known as Abraham and God. But he was considered righteous. when we looked at that a few moments ago before that ever happened because he believed. It wasn't the circumcision. It wasn't the covenant that made him righteous circumcision was actually a seal and sign of that righteousness, not the act that made it so. But the important thing Paul wants to point out is that, yeah, he was righteous before he was circumcised. Then in verse 11, he says, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that the righteousness would be counted to them as well. Paul begins to explain why we have this sign and this seal of righteousness, and it wasn't the seal or the sign that caused righteousness, but his faith. But this, this sign was given as evidence of that righteousness, that evidence of the promise. Basically, when, when, when Abram got circumcised, that was to demonstrate his belief in God. And this was the result that flowed from that belief. I, when I was reading this, it reminded me kind of, of how we do baptism in the church today. It's not baptism that saves you, but baptism is an outward expression, a standing from the rooftop saying, yes, I believe that I was alive, with, that I was dead, buried, and then made alive with Jesus Christ. It's a response in obedience to the reality of what's been accomplished inside of us. Same with circumcision. It was a response in obedience to what God had already, already given to him for his faith. And it was given as a seal because it was a constant reminder that God had given a promise and that God would keep his promise. Aren't you glad we serve a God who keeps his promises? We don't ever have to worry. Whenever we get a promise from God, it's, not a, it's never a matter of if, it's always a matter of when. Because God is faithful.
1: He was considered
0: righteous before the circumcision. He would be the father to all who believed, who weren't circumcised. Righteousness is counter to them as well. And the truth is is that the believers today do receive a circumcision. It's just not of the flesh. It's of the heart. Colossians 2, 10 through 12, that sign that we have, that circumcision for us is, then you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him through the dead the the sign that we have of our covenant with God is the fact that the old dead man was removed from us the one who was in sickness the one who was in bondage to to death the one who was a slave to Sin that's been surgically removed from your heart by Jesus Christ and the circumcision of the heart, and now you are made brand new. You no longer have the heart of stone, you have a heart of flesh, and that is our sign. And today we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1 13 through 14 says, In Him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Isn't it good we got a guarantee. You know, that's the other difference between Christianity and every other religion. Every other religion, you're hoping you're going to make it. You're hoping that when you stand before whoever you believe is your God, that your scales are going to tip the right way. But you can never be sure, you can never be certain. But when God came to us, he says, I'll give you a guarantee you put your faith in me, the Holy Spirit will come to live inside of you. He will testify with your heart. Made brand new. And we, have a, we don't have to be concerned. We don't have to be confused. We don't have to worry about that mess up that just happened yesterday or the mess up that happened on Sunday morning while you were getting ready for church and the whole family was yelling and screaming and fighting with each other. Trying to get him in the car. You had a face in your head that like that happened this morning. Good news. God won't hold that against you.
1: doesn't matter. Because he doesn't count our
0: sins. He counts our faith. And we'll end on this one. Verse 12, it says, And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had, before he was circumcised. You know, through this, we find out that he's talking about he's the father of the circumcised, he's the father of the Jews, but he says they're not merely circumcised. They also walk in the footsteps of faith of their father Abraham. You see, we learn that circumcision is not what makes one an heir to the kingdom, but rather it's following in the footsteps of faith. And it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, The requirement is the same, to follow in the footsteps of faith. This means to the Jews that their their circumcision is actually nothing without faith. It's just a ritual when it's not paired with faith. And this is actually a tough statement to many Jews, particularly in this time period. It was a tough statement because they had always regarded the Gentiles as lesser than themselves and their circumcision was proof of being placed above them proof that God loved them more when the reality is is that God loved everybody the same paul said that there's no difference between jew and gentile and it's not the circumcision or uncircumcision that matters but rather their
1: faith in him
0: faith is the path to salvation it is today it was when jesus walked the earth and it was even before Judaism was a thing, when it was just Abram and his family. And our promises, our inheritance, are always yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Amen?